Welcome to episode two of the Helpful Huddle podcast. I am your host, Luke, and I am sitting here with a good friend of mine, Alina Canner. Say hi to the people, Alina. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so happy to be here. Absolutely. I'm so glad that we were finally able to get this conversation going. It's been a long time coming. And just so everybody knows, I actually met Alina during my time in New York. We both were trainers at a facility called Equinox up there. And yep. New York is just absolutely crazy. Yeah. And Alina has gone on to make do very similar things, but on a much broader scale and really establish herself in this industry and specifically now postural restoration and which completely goes over my head. So we're going to dive into that. But Alina, I do want to start off by giving you the opportunity, starting out broad, tell me your journey through all of this. Where did you start? Where did you get your education and how you got to where you are now? Sure. So I guess it really starts when I was younger. I was a gymnast growing up, but I didn't do super competitive gymnastics, just a rec kid pretty much and got a little more competitive as I got older. And I just kind of fell in love with human movement. And I always knew that whatever I did in life, it was going to have to be helping people. That was something I felt very drawn to as a child. I just wanted to help people. Mm -hmm. Um, Very sensitive kid, had a really big heart for others. Um, And so I went to grad school, eventually decided to go to graduate school for athletic training. So if people don't know what that is, it's not personal training. That's like a big confusion with people actually would not trust my classmates ever personally, like personal training anybody. Um, And we we joked about it in school, but it's a rehab and um, it's a healthcare professional. We learn about rehab. We learn about how to uh, handle emergency situations on the field like we just saw last week in football. Um, yes. Yeah. So that was an athletic trainer that initiated the immediate CPR. So we definitely learn a wide range of skills and we, we are seen in hospitals. We're seen in professional sports, professional, um, all professional sports. And ultimately I wanted to go and work for USA gymnastics. That was always what I wanted to do. I had my eyes Mm -hmm. set on like living in Texas and I always felt that from a pretty young age. So I went to grad school at University of Arkansas, worked with their gymnastics team there, which was ranked like top nine in the country, I think, at the time when I was working. They were amazing. And I felt like the athletes were not treated like humans and they were treated like dollar signs. And this really turned me off to working uh, professional sports or collegiate sports because I just felt like I could do better and actually help these people as humans. So I graduated and I knew there was also a lot going on with USA Gymnastics at the time I graduated. I graduated in 2016. Yeah. So right. right, Like all that stuff was coming out. So I just felt like this probably isn't the right timing for me to do this. And maybe one day I'll do that, but not right now. So I ended up working at a CrossFit gym. I moved back to New York from Arkansas, worked at a CrossFit gym and then had actually a solid amount of clients there, but felt like. I need something more. I'm by myself in a CrossFit gym. I need a team environment. So I I went to Equinox and that's where I met you in the city Mm -hmm. in Manhattan and, you know, moved to Astoria, started doing my thing. And this was a really important time in my life because I was also an athlete. So I just love to move my body. I love to do work on myself, but I also love to learn. And eventually I, I moved on. I left Equinox. I started to study PRI because I felt like it was very challenging 
I took my first course in 2018. So actually left Equinox. I was I took that first course when I was still working at Equinox. And that's why some of the moves probably look familiar to you because I was using them on clients yeah. in the gym, but I didn't really know what I was doing. I remember I took the first course and I was so lost, especially like looking back now, right? Because in for sure. four or five years, you learn a lot. You look oh, back yeah. on yourself and you're like, oh my gosh, I've grown so much. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I, um, I took that course and I ended up doing starting my own business and it just progressed from there. And now um, we were talking about this earlier, but I, I ended up moving to Texas during 2020 to learn from a faculty member. So she teaches for the Institute. She teaches probably like five or six classes a year. Um, and each of those courses is 16 hours and it's a very intense course. And so she really knows her stuff. And it wasn't just, I didn't just move down there to learn PRI, but I moved down there to really heal. And it was a great opportunity. It was in the middle of COVID and um, became friends with her and she's my mentor. And um, it's, was a great time for me to do that. So that was really like the start of me understanding what I'm doing and trying to use it and learn the science. And now here I am. I just went last week. I got my certification. So it took five years. And that's okay. that was the least amount of years. Out of all the people there, I had the least amount of years of experience. I had a lot, I have a lot of, I think I have a decent amount of experience, but of course. Um, you can always have more. <laughs> yes. That's how I got into what I'm doing today. So that is, and and we can talk about what postural rest, restoration is and all that. But that is how I'm here now. So yeah. I love it. There and there's so much I don't, and I've known you for what five, more than five years. Probably, I guess, yeah. Like probably, closer to seven. Yeah, I moved. I went to that Equinox. I started in 2017, so it was a while ago. Yeah, and I was there. I think I was there before you. So yeah, we've. We've known each other a while. And I mean, I didn't even know. I have didn't know a lot of this stuff that I'm even learning right now about you. We work together every day. And it was literally every day because we were talking about it earlier, how New York is just a hustle. It is a serious hustle. <laughs> and you don't realize it when you're in it. And I don't know if you can relate to that. but I can absolutely relate to that because it's your every day. It's your every day. You just are doing it. You're just like, this mm -hmm. is it. This is my life. I'm getting up. I'm going to the city. I'm doing my clients. But then you leave and you realize, oh, my gosh, I could just get in a car, drive five minutes, <laughs> work my day, and then come home. Instead of yes. like what we – I remember my schedule used to be like four in the morning. I'd have a break in the middle of the day to work out and then four in the evening. You used to work way crazier hours than that. You were <laughs> you were totally nuts. You were working like some days you'd work like twelve. Oh yeah, I I hustled. I I actually remember, and I don't know if you remember uh, Eddie. Yes. But when I when I first got there, he was the number one trainer. And my first day, I told him that I I hope <laughs> he's enjoyed being the number one trainer. Oh my god. And. And I, and I think the most sessions I did in a month was like 180 oh or something absurd. I don't know how and you did that. I have no idea either. But looking, that's one of those things like looking back, you just, it was just something you did. Yeah. Well, it's like but, bodybuilding. When you're right. in bodybuilding, when you're doing a show, you're just doing it. And then you look back months later and you're like, I don't know how I did that. 
Right. And, and you actually doing, competed, didn't I, you? I did one show. And I, one when show. I was at Equinox, I was doing Olympic weightlifting. But right. I did one bodybuilding bikini show, and it just wasn't for me. But I remember you were competing while working at Equinox. That is so impressive and so difficult. Like, your mindset is so drilled in to be able to accomplish that. Right. It's a young man's game if you're going to do that. Uh, yeah. And it's just like <laughs> the stress of actual Manhattan. It's different to just mm -hmm. work at an Equinox in L.A. where you can, like, maybe drive there. Or, I don't right. know, maybe here where you could drive there. Like, Lifetime Fitness here and drive there. But it's mm -hmm. a completely different ballgame when you're taking the subways and you're, you know, you're getting those delays on the subways. You're, you're dealing with that additional stress of mm -hmm. just... The, I mean, the subway, you can look at your phone and it's going to be supposed to be there in two minutes, then 20 minutes later. And oh, then, my God. Then all of a sudden it goes express past your stop and you have to double back or you just get out and walk. The memories of this is like, <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, I, when I go there now, it's such a different situation because I'm working in a clinic. So there's not this mm. like high vibe of like high music, you know, like. When you're in a gym, yeah. it's just like this – it's kind of like constant stress. Mm -hmm. um, just that music was always going the same songs over and over. I have songs that, that I know <laughs> that remind me of Equinox. Because of it. And yeah. they always played the same playlist. So oh you knew kind of like, oh, it's 2 o'clock. I know what song is I about know. to come on. <laughs> I know. And just like people are working out hard around you. So you, you do mm. – it's great motivation for working out. It was great. Yes. But – now when I'm there, because I'm going next week, I'm in a clinic. It's in Times Square, which is a little crazy, but it's very quiet. I'm in a okay. darker room when I work with my clients because it calms the nervous system, that darkness, instead of like a fluorescent light. And mm. I'm working with people in pain. So I have to keep my nervous system very regulated to match mm. theirs because if they're very high, I have to keep mine low, if that makes mm. sense. Because if you're, yeah. you have two oh, yeah. people that are super high intensity sympathetic – that's not going to be healing for somebody. So I'm right. super conscious of my where I'm at. And I try and like – I try. It's harder in the city, I will tell you, than here in Arizona. Mm -hmm. But I have to keep my voice at like a good level. I'm never like getting riled up. If they don't get it, I just give it a different way. I try and be very flexible with people. But it's very different now. I also don't go in early. Like actually I do on some days if I have to go to – an optometrist with somebody because their appointments are like mm -hmm. eight, but the earliest is eight. Um, that's actually that's pretty such early. A Most of my other days are like noon. <laughs> that's amazing. That's, yeah. that's life. <laughs> and I mean, it's different, right? I'm getting paid differently than I was. The split is Correct. different. Equinox takes half your money. So, right. but I, I learned a lot from that. That experience was very important for me to have in my early 20s. This was like 22, 23, 24 when I worked there. Right. And I was the same age. And it, yeah. I mean, the re I mean, between the relationships that I made and the education that I got, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And then even like right now, we're having this conversation because we met each other at a such a weird time in our lives in so New weird. York City. You know what I just realized? You know how I was a little bit delayed today for the podcast? Yeah. Because I told you I had to give my friend the key. I just put remembered. Do you know who this friend is? Who? Tatiana, who works at Equinox. No Club. way. I swear. I should have had her come in. I totally blanked that that's oh how my I knew gosh. her. Because I, I, I don't think of it like that because I've been here. We've hung out. Yeah. She lives out here. Um, she hikes. Yeah. And she was at Equinox. That's so yeah, funny. I'll have to message crazy. her after. 
Yeah. Please do. Tell her I say hello. Yeah, I will. That's so crazy because we were all there at the same time. You do meet this like awesome group of people. And I feel mm -hmm. like it is hard for me now at age 30. I don't know if I should say that on the internet, but whatever. <laughs> Moving to a new city is hard to make friends. But if you mm -hmm. move to a new city and then you're in a place like Equinox, it really gives you that group of friends. Yes. And so no. there's like a lot of positives to it. No, for sure. And I've, I mean, I've obviously made lifelong friendships from that experience yeah. and being being having the opportunity to be around like minded and similar age people. It's just yeah. something that you don't typically get in your everyday work environment. No, in once you graduate, normal nine home. to five, and yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it was a great time, and um, it definitely helped me realize my grit to get mm -hmm. through that type of a schedule for now. Because if I ever have like a day where I'm tired or something, I'm like, well, I did twelve sessions at Equinox. Like, I could do this. <laughs> I'll, I'll be Absolutely. fine. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You'll be fine. Um, but I, I do want to, because you mentioned it earlier that you knew from a young age that you wanted to help people. And obviously this is called the Helpful Huddle Podcast centered around like helping people help people. Yeah. I, I guess, can you think of like that first or that first experience that you had that you knew, hey, I don't know what I want to do, but I know I want to be working with people and helping them personally. Yeah. I remember like watching the Olympics growing up and I, I remember watching Sarah Hughes, who was from my hometown, win in 2004. And I remember watching the gymnast and I just remember thinking like, I want to go there. I didn't, I knew it wasn't going to be me as an athlete, but um, I just wanted to go there and help. And just in general, mm -hmm. I was such a, like compassionate little kid I just always was caring about other people so there was no like instance of like oh my god this is what I want to do but when mm -hmm. I did get to college and I really was pretty unsure I just was like everyone kept telling me to do um like what is it sport psychology or sport um this kind of sport medicine or marketing and I was like I do okay. not I don't want to do marketing for sports the uh -huh. only sport I like is gymnastics like what sport I'm not you're not going to see me talking about other sports <laughs> everybody kept telling me and I love the sports psychology class but there's things missing and then I mm -hmm. took my first like anatomy athletic training class and I was like oh this is what I'm doing like I loved science as a kid just even mm -hmm. starting at like second grade third grade when I first got introduced to like dissecting things I thought it was so cool and I I picked it up very easily where I really struggled with math so I think just from those experiences as a kid I was like I I loved science and I knew anatomy was very uh tangible I could see mm -hmm. it and I liked that which is funny because PRI is not so uh easy to grasp because uh -huh. even though it's anatomy it's a twist on anatomy so if you have a hard time like seeing regular anatomy pri is pretty can be difficult but i think if you do have visuals it does help <laughs> for sure and i think that's actually a perfect segue because yeah. honestly besides your instagram posts i know nothing about pri perfect. so i want to start yeah i want to start broad Better. again what is it sure and We'll see where this conversation goes from there. But so, what is yeah. PRI? So PRI is short for Postural Restoration Institute. There's an institute in Lincoln, Nebraska, developed by Ron Horoska, 
who's the founder. And basically, long story short on Ron, he's, first of all, one of the most humble, most absolutely brilliant men I've ever met. And he was he's like the oldest of 13 kids and he grew up on a farm and the way that he has explained it is he doesn't really know how this all occurred but he did watch animals a lot growing up and he noticed these slight asymmetries in animals he also worked with amputees and he watched them move and he he just has something special in that he can see movement from a different angle compared to like regular humans to be honest Mm -hmm. um and i've spent some time with him so i feel like i can I, I see I, I, how brilliant he is and it's amazing because I can learn the science, but I'm learning it from somebody who saw it first, which is really cool. But basically yeah. the biggest differences are that we are looking at the body as two halves. So with postural restoration, we are looking at a few things. You have a diaphragm on your right side that is bigger and attaches lower onto the lumbar spine compared to the left diaphragm. Huh. So, and that is, regular neuroanatomy. If you look at uh, structures of cadavers, Ron noticed this. He noticed these asymmetries when he was doing different dissections when he was in dental Mm -hmm. school. He actually was in dental school and then became a PT. But the right diaphragm is bigger. It's larger. It has more surface area compared to the left. You have a liver on your right side of your body and you don't have that on the left. A guy like you, that liver is three pounds. Like it's a big organ. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you have three lobes of lung on the right side of your body and only two on the left. So inside, we're all asymmetrical, normal. We're born like that. Uh But then we're also wired asymmetrically. So our left brain controls the right side of our body. And we have more um, like points of reference on the right side of our body. That's why so many of us are righties. So we are more dominant in that left Mm. hemisphere. So the whole goal of PRI is what happens because of these asymmetries? What compensations do we make in our more sedentary lifestyle today that maybe cavemen didn't have these compensations because they were lifting, moving differently. But today Mm -hmm. with how we live and how we bring our children into this world, we have different compensations because of these asymmetries. And we'll tend to see a lot of similar things show up in people. It's not always similar. Sometimes we see opposing measurements or sometimes we see things that are opposing, but there's always reason for it. So where it kind of goes is that there's a a brain aspect to this, and then there's also a physical aspect to this. So the first beginning courses of PRI you take is very biomechanical. You are heavier on your right side, so you compress down into that right chest wall. And because of you always standing on your right leg, you have a pelvis that orients, kind of turns like it's looking towards the right. And your Mm -hmm. left pelvis tends to pop forward into more of an anterior pelvic tilt. Some people have both pelvises popping forward. Bodybuilders have both pelvises, gymnasts both, certain Mm -hmm. football players both. But if you take um, runners, they're probably only going to have one pelvis coming forward. And it's usually the left because of that asymmetry pulling us over to the right leg. Very biomechanical with the first three to three-ish, four courses. When you get to the higher level courses (laughs) in like – your higher level years of learning, then it Mm -hmm. becomes very much so about the brain pulling us into different positions, psychology, so many different aspects. And you get to start to learn how to treat other things. So now I treat, of course, I treat everybody like back pain, all these other things. But I am getting more people that have things like POTS, which is like a 
problem when people are sitting down, standing up and their heart rate moves in different directions or um, mm. just a lot of different issues that are related to the nervous system. Because ultimately with PRI, we're always treating the nervous system and everybody is a patient that needs nervous system treatment. Because if you have bright hip pain, that is something about you never getting off your right leg, which tells me what your brain prefers. Now, one person can be much easier than another person to treat based on their history. Lots of head injuries, recently had Invisalign, has something crazy going on with their teeth or has something crazy going on with their eyes is going to be a harder case to treat. But that's mm -hmm. not my everyday. A lot of times people are pretty quick. Um, mm -hmm. So the cool thing about PRI that's different than most physical therapy clinics or physical therapy in general or or athletic training. I don't want to just say PT because how I was traditionally taught as well as athletic training, the rehab aspect with that is like you come in for an athletic training room, you're there every day for six weeks rehabbing an ankle. Mm -hmm. um, even if it's just, it's not even a traumatic injury. Your back just hurts. You're there all the time. You're rehabbing it. With PRI, I do sessions with people once every other week. So once okay. every two weeks. And I don't do that many sessions with people. So the goal is not, is to do as least sessions as possible, but then get them up on their feet so they feel really good. They're able to what we call shift and lateralize well side to side, use their left side of their body, use their left leg, use their left glute, use their left inner thigh, things that we don't normally use because we're always centering over our right leg. So that's the short synopsis of PRI. I hope that kind of clears it. Mm. It does, but it also raises so many questions. Of course. <laughs> so like, I guess the, fir the first question I have is like, how does in general, because every body is different. Yes. Um, and, but like in general, how do you, does this, do these same principles, I guess, apply to someone that is left-hand dominant? That's a good question. So yeah, it, they do, but lefties are slightly different. So if you're left-hand dominant, it means that, you have use of that left side more than a righty person, but you right. still have a diaphragm on the right side and a, a liver on the right side. You're heavier over on that right side. You still have that neuroanatomy inside of you that's pulling you over to the right, but you might have different injuries than a right, a righty. And also to be honest, and righties might take offense to this. I'm a righty. I'm a very much so righty, but lefties are Same. more intelligent. Their brain is different. Are you, yeah, you're a righty. Most people are righties, but lefties right. do have a lot of different qualities. And left eye dominant is, is really interesting too, because interesting. that changes sometimes things. So your eye dominance, yeah. So it's it's kind of it's fascinating when you get when you think about that. But that actually develops. I read recently in the womb at like six weeks. Really, that oh, early? So early. That that oh my goodness! Isn't that crazy? <laughs> You're like a That's little insane. pea and you already know what <laughs> side, like what hand you're going to use. Oh my goodness. That, Nuts. That is, that is actually crazy. I know. I don't know. Don't about. quote me on that. I'll look it up later. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I read that it's like six weeks. Well, even the fact that it's But I know early... it developed for sure in the womb. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously I didn't know that, but. Yeah. I, I guess because. I have so many questions I want to go into, but it's just kind of also blows my mind because like traditionally me being an athlete, I think of like the physical therapy rehab side of things being that daily, weekly, 
type of sessions, but your, your goal is to do it every other week. What does a session, and I know it's broad because everybody's going to present with different things, but what does a session typically look like for you? Yeah, sure. No, it's not, it's actually not that broad because we're all internally the same. So I, I still treat the same. So when people come to me, my assessment's the same. If you come to me for, I don't know, foot pain, or if you come to me for neck pain, my assessment will always be the exact same. So I always do my history is about 30 minutes. I'll ask a lot of history. That's something I learned from my mentor. My mentor goes deep into someone's history and she, she really questions. And I've learned a lot from her about how she does it. Um, it's like you're, you're a detective because you're going to get so much information from that history. And if you don't ask deep questions, you will miss things because they don't know. So you Mm -hmm. have to really like figure out, you know, sometimes they have a car accident at age four and they think it's nothing. And then you ask them to go ask their parents and it actually was a big deal. And they were in the hospital. They just don't remember. So history is so, so vital. Um, then after that I do like a squat test, a standing reach test, like touching your toes. Those are PRI tests. I do hip range of motion. I do a straight leg raise. I do shoulder range of motion, neck range of motion, rotation, thorax rotation, trying to think what else I look at. I look at them walking their gait. Sometimes I look at how well they can center one leg over the other. Um, I'm sure I'm missing a couple things, but those are like the big ones. And then I always will look a little deeper depending on what they're coming to me for. If they're coming to me for neck pain, I might look a little bit deeper at their neck. I might look at their, I'm going to look at their teeth to visibly look. Um, Yeah. And ultimately what I find is going to help guide me. So if I find somebody, they come to me, it's happened last week, foot pain, right? Foot pain. He has a crossbite. He didn't know that. He doesn't know that his teeth don't line up well. So, okay. Is that something I'm going to address the first day? No, but it is definitely on my mind and it's in my notes. So basically it means that your teeth should line up like right on top, but he has Mm -hmm. like one side of his bottom jaw is coming outside the front of the top jaw. So just things that I might find in the assessment are going to guide my treatment. And then the client will always leave with about three techniques. So the techniques are putting you in very funky, weird positions and then making you breathe there. Because if you can't breathe in a position, then you can't own it. And I want people to own their left side. So the first set of techniques are just getting them to learn what I'm trying to get to. And then by the second, third, fourth, fifth session, we're really progressing them. So, yeah. No, that that's so interesting. And I want to go back to like the teeth comment that you made. Because mm-hmm. I've seen your Instagram stories of yeah. kind of showing those that crossbite or those misalignments or whatever you want to call them. What is that telling you? It just tells me that either, well, sometimes dentists will leave them like that or orthodontists will leave somebody like that, but that's not typical. Usually you don't see that, but just tells me that their body, their cranium has figured out a way to find a center point. And it's an adaptation. Ultimately, it's like your body's adapted and you're not grounded properly there. So I don't always know why it occurred, but I know that that might be a missing link to the puzzle as to why they cannot for 10 years get rid of their whatever pain it is, fill in the blank, because it could be anything. That's why people run in circles looking for things, because if you're not, if you're a PT and you're not looking at someone's bite, you're missing people. And I'm not saying that means you need to go and immediately treat it. 
But I think having the knowledge, if you're looking at people's injuries, have, having that knowledge of dental vision a little bit is really important. And it's not something you're going to get overnight. Like this is right. taking me a long time and I'm really not there yet. Like my mentors are way further along in their experience. Um, but that's why I have those mentors because I can ask them questions. Yeah. And I think it's so important to have mentors and have voices Huge. in your corner. Huge. I mean, I talk to some of these people on a weekly basis about how should I, what should, how should we do this better in opto in the optometry clinic? What can mm -hmm. I do for this person? Like, especially those now, those are like the higher level cases for me where it's a little harder, but mm -hmm. I have mentors where that's not so hard for them or they have a perfect setup. So, you know, cause there's a lot of communication with other professionals too. So at this point where I'm at, I'm really trying to develop something where um, I can do my part as my, as being a PRI provider. But if I need to send somebody off somewhere, I want that professional eye doctor dentist whoever myofunctional therapist to really understand what i'm doing um mm -hmm. and especially if i go there with them i want it to be streamlined process so we have that uh decently set up in new york but it's obviously still a work in progress there's a few pri practitioners in new york so we're all working together to try and create something there there's so many people in new york so we want to help them so many yeah, yeah no absolutely and this is all these are all things that i mean i'm learning about it just now and i've was in the fitness industry for a decade or so. So yeah, all, yeah. like I, I knew about misalignments, but I didn't sure. know like how deep you can look into it. So deep. It's so deep. It's exhausting to be honest, but <laughs> oh, it's so it. fueling and it's so cool because there's a root to these issues and I want to mm. help people find the root. And if I can't help, I tell my clients, I'll send you somewhere. I'll find you help. Because I, I hate to watch somebody suffer for years. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind <laughs> of where I'm at. I love it. And other things that I see on your Instagram that you yeah. post quite often, and I was waiting to ask you about this, but you'll take pictures of people, like people, pe maybe someone on TV. You're probably analyzing me oh right gosh. now. No, but, I'm not. But like, but you'll draw like the cross line and show kind of the tilt. Like what, what are you seeing? And like, what are you trying to provide to people yeah. like, when you're doing that? Sometimes I'll see somebody and it's just so obvious to me that it's, and they're like famous. So it's like easy. I, the, I can't post my clients' faces. Right. So unless they like ask them and I don't usually do that unless I found if I have a really asymmetrical person, maybe I will in the future. But right now I'm not posting clients faces, just liability. And mm -hmm. obviously when I see someone on the TV, I can show that. So to me, it's like, this is an opportunity. So the other day when I was watching like a Bernie Madoff documentary, I saw a news anchor who was so asymmetrical and I just put, showed like put some arrows on there and i think it helps to visualize what we're talking about so i actually recently had some graphics made of a pelvis and a rib cage just to help people see what i'm talking about because it's really hard to explain and I, pri does such a good job but it's still difficult to grasp how one side of the rib cage could be in one position and another side could be in another and then if you walk it can move it's hard to grasp that so it's even right. harder to grasp cranial positioning 
So, and I'm still learning it. I, ha- I actually am yeah. taking the cranial course this year. I took cervical. I took a bunch of other ones, but cranial is on my list. And that's all about the bones of the, your temporal bones and your sphenoid behind your eyes and how just, it could be millimeters off, but that can make the difference. I mean, I was looking at my own left eye before and how small it looks compared to my right <laughs> eye. And it drives me crazy. And it's like, oh my God, I need to be doing techniques every day. <laughs> and that's crazy. I don't, I'm pretty symmetrical. Uh-huh. Like I don't, I need to chill out, but <laughs> we all have slight asymmetry and it is normal to a degree. It's normal. And I don't right. want people to go and look at themselves and be like, Oh my God. And freak out. No, you just want to be able to manage that asymmetry. If you can't manage it and it's like super externally asymmetrical, then it's a problem. So the people I post on my story that are news anchors or famous, it's because they're not managing their asymmetry. Bradley Cooper is a really good one, actually. Really? The show, yeah. He's like very asymmetrical. Interesting. And obviously like this is is stuff that if you don't know, like we were talking about earlier, you – you, you're not going to know, know. This in your everyday life. You just wouldn't know. There's really no way to completely know that. So, um, I mean, you might know like, oh, I look asymmetrical, but I don't think you would be like, oh, well, what do I do about this? You might just see other people are also asymmetrical. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a big thing. I actually, so, my I- picture that I used, that I used as like a before and after for myself was actually my Mm -hmm. equinox photo really yeah because (laughs) my head was slightly tilted it was just such a good asymmetry change Uh it was wild from 2018 yeah so i know you're still doing like like you said you're taking the cranial course this year but you're at least familiar with it because we're talking about it sure but because because a lot of it to me sounds like like you're talking about like naturally structured a certain way. How, how is that fixable? That sounds like it's not fixable to me. Right. Cause that's how we're taught. We're taught that mm-hmm. these structures don't move, but they can move. They actually, anytime you inhale and exhale, you have slight movement of your cranium. Really? Yeah. And so now I'm like looking at myself. <laughs> you're not going to see it. It's like so small, but We see these cranial changes in people when we change things with their bite or we change Mm -hmm. things with their vision or we change things with their body and how they ground on the ground. So we'll see eye heights change slightly to be a little more even. Yeah, you'll see a lot. You'll see jaws change, turn in certain directions because it's the reason that's there in the first place is because your body's adapted to try and figure out how to use one side of your body. Not just because a jaw is moving one way doesn't mean that that's why. But, um, like, we'll see the jaw going to the left a lot. Sometimes we see it go to the right. But when you work on these things, it can change for sure. Because you're just – you're, like, giving it equalization. You're giving it more homeostasis, if that makes sense, by the techniques we do. Because the techniques are not just, like, forcing anything. None of this is like chiropractic care, forceful, nothing. Everything is breathing. Everything is very small little movements. Everything can, there's eye movements involved. There's jaw movements involved. So it's, you're guiding your body there. You're not forcing it. That's how. Interesting. And yeah, I can take, I can take this in so many directions because there's just so many uh, questions going through my head, but so the one, I'm just going to ask the one that's on my mind right now, because you mentioned it off camera before when we were just chatting. 
how can how can like bodybuilders how can general population well we'll start with bodybuilding because that's two very different things well like bodybuilding how can is great they utilize this yeah so bodybuilders the goal is to be symmetrical right up on stage you want your glutes to be symmetrical but if you're inherently asymmetrical inside and you are naturally le using less of your right glute max just walking through life mm -hmm. just normal and you did that for years starting at puberty on then if you reposition your body and then work your right glute you're gonna see a huge change and i've seen it in the bodybuilding world it and i've worked with a few bodybuilders like two but it is hard with bodybuilders because of the way they train they put them in a very sympathetic state you're always using the lats. You're constantly using erectors, lats to pull you up and have that posture. But that posture is what we call very extended, very ungrounded. Mm -hmm. As a weightlifter, I was the same thing. And right. so what we do in PRI is we help people ground. We get themselves more on top of their body so they can feel their heels on the ground. But I would say that would be a very healthy bodybuilder too if they did some PRI they wouldn't have nearly as much pain as their fellow bodybuilders. But you really think, can use it. I think in the bodybuilding world, the most I commonly hear like lower back pain. And, yeah. and I'm sure a lot of that is those, the erectors that you were talking about and constantly pulling extended. I, I think of like showing like the big rib cage, but that's like, I mean, if you're competing, that's posing. Like that's something that you yeah. have to do. And yeah. it seems, and now I'm also thinking different subject, but we were just talking about being grounded. What do you mean being grounded? Yeah. When I mean being grounded, I mean the ability to properly breathe without arching to get the breath in. That's one okay. way to think about it. And if you look at a bodybuilder, their ribs are lifted up even in yep. their resting stance. It's fine when you're posing. It's fine when you're powerlifting. It's fine when you're catching a snatch as a weightlifter. Sure, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But what do you look like when you're resting and you're trying to go to sleep at night? Is your ribcage still flared? Because that tells me your brain literally thinks a tiger is chasing after you because that is a sympathetic mm -hmm. overdrive position. Interesting. Yeah. If you know how to breathe, fully exhale, get your ribs down on a full breath, then you can actually go to sleep and actually sleep well at night. But bodybuilders can. Neither can Olympic weightlifters. Neither can gymnasts. Neither can. They're lifted so high up using their neck, using their back, using their calves. That's why bodybuilders have mm -hmm. huge calves too. There are certain parts that bodybuilders don't really have to work as much. Mm -hmm. Glutes is not one of them. Sometimes they really need to work some parts of their glutes. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. That's really interesting. And, and I imagine I know the answer to this one, but I, but performing PRI, getting more grounded and everything, that's not going to affect performance in mm -hmm. any way, correct? Positively. Like we worked with some. Um, yeah, negatively affect. That's a better. No, it won't negatively affect. No. And that's where sometimes people get worried. They're like, oh, I'm going to reposition. I'm not going to be as good at my sport. It, no, I've literally seen it increase mile per hour on really high level um, baseball pitchers, like really high level MLB. And they're increasing their mile per hour by properly doing this. Or like, of course, injury wise, it's going to help them, but it also prevent injuries. 
Yeah. And I, that was where I actually wanted to take this next was how is this going to help with injury prevention? Cause it sounds like, like I know right now you're treating a lot of current pain, but getting ahead of pain is equally or even more important because then it prevents pain. How, how is this going to help in pain prevention? Yeah. Um, it definitely can because you're getting the body in a better position to then allow it to move well side to side, move well forward back, do whatever you want it to do. Because when we see people now, we see a body that loves the right side and cannot move well in the frontal plane. Frontal plane is really important. It gives you access mm-hmm. to the transverse plane. Everyone like is obsessed with sagittal and trans or everyone's really obsessed with the transverse plane. But if you can't get your ribs down, you cannot rotate properly. So I give people first sagittal, then frontal, then transverse. But we're very sagittalized already with the things we do. We always go back and forth, back and forth. We never really go side to side. And people talk Mm -hmm. about that. But does the body organize itself in a way that allows it to go side to side? Because you can do a lateral lunge and call it frontal plane. But if your left hip is forward and your left rib cage is lifting up, you're sagittally doing that exercise because you're just forcing it. And you're not actually properly going side to side. I want a body that can actually pull the left rib down and then do your lateral lunge. My friend Rua, who's also, he would be really good on here too. He is really great with the training aspect of this, like bringing it over into that training mindset because it's important. Interesting. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm starting to put the pieces together of seeing how like, because I mean, you mentioning baseball really resonates with me because I played college baseball and played baseball my whole life. Um, but I, I feel like I can, I'm picturing a pitcher mm-hmm. get, getting into better positioning to allow his body to rotate through with that pitch. And you're, like you said, adding miles per hour. And when you're at a high level like that, it's a big if deal. you have the ability to add, like you're, you're already probably throwing that level. You're, throwing in the nineties as it is. And there's a lot of torque on the body. So if you're able to add more and safely add more, yeah, I can a hundred percent see that. I'm starting to see how this all aligns to that. Well, And if it relates to baseball, I have this little pelvis here. I have a bigger one over there, but if you have a body that's over on your right leg, this is opposite. Uh So you have to think about it. And this is your left pelvis and that comes forward. Now, as a baseball player, you have to finish over your left leg. So how are you going to finish over your left hip with your left hip being forward? You can't finish over on that left side. Same for golf. Same for lacrosse. Interesting. Yeah, you have to be able to finish, but you need the internal rotation on that left leg, and you can't force your body to internally rotate that left leg. You have to allow your body to what we call come to the left side, internally rotate that left hip, and be able to stand on the left leg before you can finish a pitch over on there. And most of these big pitchers like can't, I mean, I don't work with them now. Right. But I've seen a few of these throwing athletes that can't even balance on their left leg properly, properly keeping their left hip back. They can balance on their left leg. They could fake it all day though. Uh Like any good athlete. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. But that's the specifics is, is the body organizing the way the way it can organize in stance on the right leg? Can it also organize in stance on the left leg and the way it organizes in swing on the left leg? Can it do that on the right leg? Cause we have stance and swing in the gate cycle. Can you do both on either side? And if you can't, then you're going to, you might 
age out your sport because you're missing these key components that need to come before your sport. Interesting. Yeah. How is it easy? Because when you see it, like as a practitioner, it's, it's not that hard to treat. It can be very complicated, but mm-hmm. usually somebody like a baseball player is not that complicated. They're pretty – athletes are in tune. They know how to move and mm-hmm. they get it. The complicated so things are when people are coming to me now with like dysautonomia symptoms where they can't sleep at night because their heart rate's all over the place. Or they just can't relax. They don't sleep. They have insomnia. They have anxiety, all that stuff. That's what they have a vision issue. They see double. That's complicated. But baseball players are fun. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we, we absolutely are. But I think that actually just led into another question that popped yeah. up. How is, because at Equinox, I was first introduced to like alligator breathing. Mm, yeah. And I, it was I, like I, laying on your stomach and you had to push your stomach into the ground. Yeah. So I would, I yeah. not, I know, I remember it. So, I mean, yeah. great that they tried to do some breathing, but you'll, you're just going to be in that faulty position, laying on your stomach. And then also belly breathing in general is really pushed in our society and we need to breathe into our chest. We just don't want our neck to lift our rib cage up. We want to expand the apex up here and the belly a little bit. We need to breathe into our apex here and our upper back. And okay. a lot of times we're not seeing that. Yeah, we're the alligator is... type breathing or just the belly breathing with the hands on the rib cage. I think it just promotes more faulty sometimes. Just depends on the person. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was a hundred percent doing that with clients, not having any idea what I was doing. Sure. Was like... Just because it was caught. <laughs> That's fine. People liked it because you're giving them a sense of breathing, which is very important in New York City. Uh In New York, like, I could just lay someone on a table, give them a balloon. I do a lot of stuff with balloons. Reach your right arm in the air. Yeah. A balloon forces you to exhale because you have to fully blow the balloon. I mean, it doesn't force you, but you learn how to use the balloon to fully exhale. And it's like you're increasing the pressure. So if you give someone a balloon, there's a pressure going back and forth, and they have to hold that pressure. Um, so you can fix a lot of things with it. Um, so if you give someone a balloon in New York city, somebody who's like super anxious, just have them exhale all the way out. They will go home and go to sleep. My patient earlier today, she, she takes a nap after all our sessions. She said she's so tired. (laughs) Really? Good. Great. I love that for her. I was like, I want you like that every day. I want you to take it because that's your body needing it. Yeah, for sure. So. And I guess this kind of comes, it's coming full circle because I asked you about like what a session looks like for you. So yeah. when when you're not taking in the history, so it's a repeat client, mm-hmm. what, do, what does a typical session look oh, like? After. In, yeah. Yeah. Because what, what, what I'm thinking right now is like, I'm, I'm thinking we're talking about breathing. I'm thinking we're talking about, yeah. it's, it's a very, in my mind, I'm thinking this is a very relaxing experience. Yeah. Very different than training. Uh huh. <laughs> um, so if somebody comes in for a follow up, then I'm looking at what position is their body in. So now they've worked on this stuff for two weeks. They got a new pair of shoes, um, most likely, unless they already came in with a decent pair, which is pretty rare. Um, mm-hmm. And they've been in those. They've been doing their techniques. And I want to see, did their body stay what we call neutral, which is the idea, ability to transition well from your right side to your left side. And if they don't, 
if they're not neutral, then I starts me thinking a little bit. How well did they do the techniques? Maybe these techniques didn't really reposition them well. So I might, I'll change up the techniques. I always change up the techniques to give them something different, try something different. Um, what part of them maybe stayed neutral? What part didn't? What part is better? Usually people are better when they come in to see me for the second time. I'd say virtually, they're not always. Mm-hmm. But in person, usually by the second set, we see changes. We definitely see changes. I will always see some sort of change um, because I am cha- playing with their nervous system. I'm not just giving them a, you know, lap pull down or something like that right so when you're playing with someone's nervous system you're gonna see a result of some sort sometimes worse very rarely but some sometimes i do have it very very rarely in very complex cases sometimes will get worse because it's so much for them i had a patient earlier today but it's because their body can't handle what i'm trying to give them yet um but yeah usually you see some sort of change and then i will respond to that change so if all goes well they come in neutral at all their joints area that I'm looking at, rib cage, pelvis, feet, all that stuff, neck, then I progress them. I see what scores they have. Um, there's specific testing I can look at. And if they have a good score, I can give them a harder exercise. I can stand them up. I can do a lot of different things. Eventually, I can move them into moving exercises where they're alternating and reciprocating one side to the other. But yeah, that's kind of how it works. Some people need two, three sessions and they're good to go. Why not? Yeah, those are simple cases. Not everybody's like that, but I wish my Mm -hmm. case was like that. I was not like that, (laughs) but that's fine. You learn the best on yourself. Yeah, you absolutely do. If I was a simple Um, situation, I don't think I would be able to help as many people. So absolutely, absolutely agree with that because you can, you can resonate with them. You can relate to them. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's huge. And something that you just mentioned and actually wrote, wrote it down like you and it's this sounds like it can be a real simple fix for people but what do you mean like a good pair of shoes yeah so we look for shoes that have what they call a heel counter so it's like a cup on the back of the shoe that you can squeeze and it holds sturdy and then we look for a good arch support so we are not meant to walk on flat surfaces with our feet we are meant to walk on uneven surfaces with bare feet so even when i was at equinox i wore barefoot shoes And I'm not a big fan of those now because we walk on flat surfaces. I have a flat apartment floor. It's concrete. You have a flat wood floor where you're at. Like everything is flat. Our concrete floors are outside. Everything is flat. If you were going and hiking a mountain and you were going to walk barefoot, cool. I'm all about that. But because our feet need that ability to move into pronation and supination, supination lifting up, pronation flattening the arch, that, that is very important for what transfers up and down the chain. And so if we're in a shoe that is a barefoot like shoe or not a good, sturdy, supportive shoe, then we're not going to get the real easy neurological pronation and supination that we're looking for. So, yeah, so that is definitely a big thing. I always get people in better shoes and we we have a shoe list. It's on the Hruska Clinic website. I can send it to you. You can put it here. And um, yeah, and you can look at your feet and try out shoes. And if it feels good, it's going to be the right shoe for you. So. That's ultimately, yeah, I swear by them. They help me a lot. So that's yeah. so interesting because I also, have my, I feel like I've always heard like barefoot shoes are the way yeah, to go. But they're not. I know. <laughs> it's just marketing. It, it 100% is just marketing. 
I know. Because ASICs market for runners, which is great. But ultimately, I don't care if you're a runner. If you're an 80-year-old or you're a 20-year-old and you're coming to me, I want you in our time together in a good shoe. Yeah. And it's kind of become a non-negotiable for me. I, If somebody tells me that they're not going to wear the shoe, then I tell them, okay, then I don't know how much better you're going to get. So you're paying for these sessions, but I'll help you to the best of my abilities. But there, it's a, it's a two-way street. You got to do your part. And I, the biggest problem I have with this is like the 16-year-olds. Why is that? Or they what, just, what, what, they want to wear their white Nike, whatever they are. Got Air Force it. Ones, which I get. I also have a pair at home. I wore them when I was 16. But if you're hurting and you want to play college sports, you know, you got to you got to do that. So it's such a small sacrifice. Yeah, it's just a shoe. Yeah. The baseball players like high level baseball players can wear them. Then you can, too. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. But I do want to take this conversation in a different route and talk more about kind of like the business side, your sure. business side. And like the, uh, and I want to start, I always like to start broad. You, and we were talking off camera before yeah, this. Like, we can talk about how, it. Yeah. How, I guess, how did, well, one, I want to go all the way back. Like when you first like left Equinox and decided to start your own thing. Yeah. How, that that's something that a lot of people talk about, but never do. Yeah. What, what was that? switch in your head that said okay it's time for me to go out on my own yeah so i um my dad's self-employed so my entire life i watched my dad uh do his business um mm -hmm. and be self-employed so i always knew at some point in my life that i would be self-employed so i think it was like a when it would occur so whenever gotcha. I felt like I Equinox, I had my time there, I was done, which was only a year. I was only at Equinox for one year before I left. Wow. Yeah, I just felt like I was getting bored and I knew that I could make more money and I knew I was good at what I did. So I was Absolutely. like, I'm just going to do it. So I just felt it in my gut and I was like, I'm going to do it. So I did and I left and I took my clients literally up the block <laughs> and I did it very quietly. Um, and it was completely fine. And now my business has blown up a lot the last couple months because of Instagram, because I've been um, posting and I'm glad I do that because I do think it is amazing for people. Um, but yeah, it's just, I have, you know, things set up like streamlined process. Like I use it, something called intake queue and people can go in and book a session. So I don't have to I don't like answering lots of messages about like, oh, can I book with you? I'm just like, yes, here's the link in my bio. Like, just check that out because mm -hmm. I have that set up um, purposefully. So, yeah, now business has been really good. I have, I'm have i going to Europe in two weeks to treat people. Um, wow. Obviously, the treatment I'm going to do there is just like kind of a one-off. So <clears throat> you just do the best you can. Um, with that, it's not the same as being able to see somebody consistently, but mm -hmm. I just help the best way I, that I can. And that's, that's, you know, what I can do. Um, but yeah, so it's really just projected off just since I've been posting on Instagram. I think people are interested in high quality content. So, yeah. Right. No, absolutely. And, um, and forgive me if this is kind of like a, I don't, I don't imagine this no, is a sensitive fine. question, but. It, how 
how is it being a like self-employed woman yeah, in it's not an sensitive. industry like this? I think that I think I'm lucky, honestly. I think it's easier to be totally okay. transparent. I think that in the healing profession, I think it's easier in some ways because in a healing profession, people feel more comfortable sometimes going to female providers. That's what I've seen. And I get a lot of women clients, but I also get male clients that mm. might not feel as comfortable going to another male about it. And I think we don't talk about this in society, but I actually do think that it might be harder in five, six, eight years from now when I maybe want to have children. That mm -hmm. aspect might be harder. But for right now, I think it's easier for me. And I think that uh, a lot of people will come to me because there's a nurturing aspect to being a female. And men are amazing. I have amazing friends that are male clinicians that I will send people to that are absolutely mm -hmm. amazing. But I think there's a stigma, you know, so – I don't know if that's the answer you expected because it's different. No, it, it honestly is not the answer I expected, yeah. which is, I think is great that we're having that conversation yeah. because I had yeah. that stigma in my head. Yeah, I think a lot of people do, which is not verbalized. But I really do think that in today's society, it's easier to be a female, actually. I think it's harder to be a male. And I might get hate for that, but I don't care. That is my true opinion. I really feel that. And I, I see it truth. with my patients. I see it with my patients. Um just with the different people that I've worked with over the years that I think that sometimes men have it harder. Yeah. So. I think, I think every case is different and some, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes men have it harder. Sometimes women have it harder. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Exactly. But no, that, yeah. that's really interesting to hear. Cause I, cause even I, I think of, and I guess it's not that you're, you're, you're in fitness, but you're like not in fitness anymore. And I, but I think yes. of like fitness as a male dominated industry. Yeah. That's true. But that is really true. Even but, with fitness, uh, go, sometimes feel people feel more comfortable with a female trainer, even men. Of course. It's all preference too. It depends on the yeah. person. But yeah. yeah. It absolutely does. And but something else I wanted to ask you with the business side is it, Yeah. And this is more may not be a deep conversation. Obviously, it may not be. Yeah. Um. But like, with, I guess straight up is PRI something that is covered by insurances? Mm -mm. Um. No. It depends. Not me because I'm a certified athletic trainer. But that's not. A, it's a good question. Some clinics that do PRI. There's one I know of in Texas. They do have it mm -hmm. covered. But for the most part, it's not. It's usually cash based. Because it is also so many years of studying to get here. And it's mm -hmm. so specialized that insurance, I don't know, they would just bill it out as like exercise, I guess, different types of exercises. But no, I can't bill out because I am a athletic trainer. So regardless, athletic trainers aren't covered under any insurance. Um, got it. But yeah, no, it's a good question. No, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, I was, just, I was just wondering that because you're also talking about like, you you will send people to physicians and dentists yeah, and I do and not and actually the optometrists that I use are a big um, organization they're called SUNY Optometry in New York and they are covered under insurance so that is actually really nice for me when I'm working with somebody because obviously they're paying for my services if they need to pay for a dentist dentists can be very expensive um, very important 
and it's very you should always go to to a good dentist what i've learned and same for optometrists you want to go to somebody who's vetted and very good um but yeah our our optometry clinic is covered under insurance which gives my patients a little bit of a break so that's that's really nice yeah 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 and i my next question is kind of still on this business side of things but where where do you kind of see this going and taking you in the next year, yeah. five years, 10 years? Or is this even something that you can comprehend at this point? Because you've I, kind I of don't just know. recently exploded. Yeah, it's recently exploding. I'm really hoping it keeps exploding. I'd love to do this forever. I, so too. I would love to do this forever. I'd love to have kids. I'd love to um, be able to do this and have a family. And I think I can. I definitely think it's possible. But I, I feel very fulfilled with what I'm doing. Um, and I like having a hybrid business. I think it's cool. And I think there's so much to this. And there's I can't wait to grow uh, more, take more courses, learn more, and be able to help my patients even more. It's just my knowledge is going to grow in the next few years. So, For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And I guess because you, you mentioned earlier in this podcast that you – or did you? I don't remember. But you, you've studied this for about five years now, and you're – still ongoing continuing education going through the cranial course yeah are there more courses for you to continue yeah. to take yeah i think pri has something like 15 or 18 some crazy courses so many courses and the other thing is you don't take them once so i've taken a few of them twice but you definitely take them again you take them with a different teacher different faculty member you get different things every time they teach it it's live so it's 16 hours of live material materials constantly changing when I took respiration four years ago to now, yes, the basics are the same, but the new course is probably so different than what I'm taking, what I took it years ago. So I would, you go back, you retake these courses. So even this year, I might retake the cervical course, even though I took it in 2021, it'd be mm -hmm. cool to take it again two years later, I'll get a different understanding. So I'll always be learning. And when I'm, you know, I don't think I'll ever be done taking PRI courses, but I will look into other things that. You know, I always read. There's so much out there to learn. So absolutely, and I think constantly learning. The more you learn, the more that you're gonna you're gonna be able to help people, yeah. and that's the ultimate goal. Yeah, exactly. That is the ultimate goal. That's what I'm here for. So, um, I'm, I want to continue. Well, I want to continue, but I also want to be respectful of your time. Is there any any subject that we haven't touched on that you wanted to touch on? I think this is a wonderful. Thing you're doing i think this is was a great interview it was awesome thank you but That's i do great. also want to give you an opportunity here in our clo closing moments um how can people learn more about you what you're doing and yeah. like if they're interested in working with you how can they get in touch sure so my instagram is at alina canner um, obviously my name is at the top of the episode there. It's A-L-E-E-N-A. -E and, and if you're watching the link, it's going to be right <laughs> below her face. It's also going to be in the description. Perfect. So you'll be able to find it. So a lot of my stuff, that's where I'm most active. Um, I think it's going to be even more active in the future because I'm just doing some stuff. I do have a podcast. It's called Move Your Brain, Move Your Body. We're going to start putting it up on YouTube, but you can find it on Apple and Spotify. And I think if people are interested, we have some really great episodes on there. Um, Absolutely. and yeah, my website, you can just book a session with me there. If you're interested, um, you, I will always be doing this. So just look for me and 
get in touch and I'm happy to chat. I'm happy to answer questions if anybody has questions. So yeah, reach out and I'm here. I love that. And just because you briefly brushed on it, but you offer not just in person, but virtual sessions. Yeah. I do. I don't love doing virtual because I feel like it's harder to help people. But some of people course. don't have an option. There's no PRI provider in Canada. There's really not many people in Europe. So in many countries in Europe. So I will, of course, try my best to help that to help these people that don't have any options. But I will do my best if somebody comes to me in, let's say, Texas, I'm going to send them to somebody that I know that can do a better job in person. Um, so I will, you know, if if people message me all the time, they're like, do you know anybody in, I don't know, you're in Boston. I know somebody in Boston. So I send them over to my friend Miguel. So there's there's a lot of people around the country. So. Got it. Yeah. No, that's that's perfect. And Alina, I also just want to thank you for coming on the podcast and doing this. It's been amazing catching up with you and learning more about awesome. what you're doing and continuing to do. This has been so awesome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And we're, and and people will see this, they're going to comment, they're going to send awesome. messages. And I, I do believe that we will be having you back on as long as you're available, as long as you stay, stay free enough that we can actually continue to have conversations. I know you're blowing up. Oh my gosh. It's been great though. I, I, it's overwhelming, but I'm so grateful. I can't even, you know, I can't, can't say I don't like it. So it's good. Of course. And I'm so, I mean, We've been friends. I'm so proud of you and what you're oh, doing and all the people that you're you. helping. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And thank you for having for sure. me. This was so wonderful. Absolutely. Lena, I want to thank you one more time. And this has been episode two of the Helpful Huddle podcast. Say bye to the people. Bye. Thank you for listening to episode two of the Helpful Huddle podcast, where we interviewed Alina Canner about postural restoration. Remember to give us a like and a follow on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter with the user handle at helpful underscore huddle and the YouTube channel at helpful huddle podcast. You are also able to listen to us on Spotify. The links are also found in the description below. Please reach out with your questions on topics that you would like to learn about in the future.